in standing out of gratitude for God's Word and our Lord Jesus Christ who comes to even meet with you now as we study His Word together and turn to Luke chapter 17 is where we will be this morning in our study of Scripture. If you don't happen to have a Bible, uh, you can grab one of the chairback Bibles that should be in front of you and you'll find this morning's text on page 875. Uh, One of the joys of preaching through any book of the Bible verse by verse over a long period of time is that you have unique occasions to observe God's sovereignty as He shepherds His people into the truth of Scripture and its green pastures of wonder. So, for example, months ago, when I was finalizing our study through Luke's Gospel and putting down all the texts that would fall on certain Lord's Days, I, of course, came to the Sunday before Thanksgiving in 2018 and just smirked to myself when I realized that the Sunday before Thanksgiving just so happens to be verses 11 through 19 of Luke 17, which just so happens to be one of the most famous occasions of thanksgiving in all the Gospels. God moves in wonderful and mysterious ways. And so we want to look at this short but profound text together this morning. And let me get us going by uh, reading it for us, and then I'll pray, ask God's blessing on our study, and then we will begin. So let us hear now, for God is indeed speaking to us through his word. On the way to Jerusalem... Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go, and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. And then one of them, When he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. And Redeemer Church, what do we believe about God's Word? Grass withers, but the Word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, we do bow before you now, expressing our gratitude and thanksgiving for your Son, Jesus Christ, who is our Savior, who is our Redeemer. He is our atoning sacrifice, the substitute for our sin, our Lord, our King, our Priest, and our Prophet. Uh, We pray that we would meet Him this morning in this text. And in meeting him, we might find life, mercy, and grace in his name. So help us to hear with faith and repentance for me to preach with boldness and clarity. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, Many villagers in India know something of the danger of a silent, invisible poison. It's a silent, invisible poison that's known as arsenic. For many villages in India over the last few decades and even centuries have often been afflicted by this colorless, this tasteless poison that seeps into their water supply. It's a poison that infects the body in slow but steadily diminishing and destroying ways. First, it will strike with something like melanosis, which is dark spots, 
on your body, even inside your mouth. In time, it will often morph into cancers of the lungs, of the stomach, and of the bladder. It, it can take a long time for the symptoms to arrive. Sometimes it'll take eight years for symptoms to begin to show up of this deadly poison. It may even take as long as 14 years for the symptoms to arrive. And whenever those symptoms are discovered, it's always too late to save that soul. And I tell you that today because what we come to in our text in so many ways is a spiritual poison that is silently but equally as deadly as arsenic is to the body. It's silently and equally as deadly to the soul. And if you were paying attention as we were reading through this passage, you might realize that the danger, uh, the threat that confronts us in this passage today is what we might call thanklessness. It's so often increasingly true, I fear, in many professing Christians' lives that their spirit is marked by an increased ability in grumbling, not so much an increased ability in gratitude. And so many churches today, I do increasingly believe, are so much less powerful and influential for Christ than they could be because they are much better at grumbling than gratitude. Or if you want to put the finger of, of the passage on your heart more directly, it's less about grumbling and it's about taking Jesus Christ for granted. And so what we want to see this morning is the text call not just to a life of thanksgiving, which is true, but ultimately the one for whom we are thankful, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what we're going to see in our passage this morning, you might write this down as a theme of sorts, is that gratitude for Christ reveals true faith in Christ. Gratitude for Christ reveals true faith in Christ. What we see throughout the Bible is that you can't have one without the other. One shows the other. One initiates and motivates the other. So it's why St. Bernard, the great lover of Christ of old in the 12th century, uh, he said that thankfulness is a sweet balm that drops from every true Christian. Or put negatively, a Puritan named Thomas Watson said, a thankless Christian is a monster in nature, a total paradox of Christianity. So what we want to pray for this morning, and hopefully the Spirit will work within our lives together as we study this text, is an increased heart of thanksgiving for Jesus Christ. And so the passage before us really has two main parts. First, it focuses on ten lepers, and the second passage, or part of the passage, focuses on one leper. But in order that we kind of get the flow of the story but also see what we must in our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to walk through it under three headings. First, we want to hear an urgent request. Secondly, we want to hear a surprising reply. And then thirdly, we want to see a thankful return. So those are the things we want to kind of walk through together this morning as we think about thanksgiving, increased gratitude for Jesus Christ. So again, first of all, we want to hear an urgent Request. Look at verse 11 as Luke is setting the scene for us. He says, On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. So I'm sure many of you, maybe later this week, might be jumping in your car and you'll be traveling to some place for Thanksgiving. And if you have young children that are in the back seat, surely at some point along the way you will hear that four word phrase that often dominates any vacation with young children of, are we there yet? 
And if you've been tracking along with Luke's gospel since the end of chapter 9, when we're told that Jesus, with certainty and assurance, set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem, seven and a half chapters later, as an original reader of this gospel, they may have wondered, are we there yet? Because there's only a couple times along the way in Jesus' journey to Jerusalem that Luke gives us any indication of where Jesus is at in his journey. How long has it took him to get where he's going, which is a destiny date with death. And so in this kind of geographical marker he gives us in verse 11, what what we're finding out as we're going to see Jesus in chapter 19 eventually arrive in Jerusalem is that Luke is saying he's almost there, but he's not there yet. And along the way, notice he comes to a village and see what he encounters in verse 12. He was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. So kids, you need to understand something about leprosy if you're going to understand exactly what's going on in this passage. So in the first century context and when Jesus was ministering, if you woke up in the morning and found mysterious, painful, concerning spots on your skin, what you had to do is go see the local priest, because the local priest was not just a religious authority, it was also something of a medicinal man. And if you heard that local priest utter the diagnosis of leprosy because of the spots on your skin, it was the worst diagnosis you could ever hear. You were immediately cast out from your home, You were not allowed into the tabernacle, temple, or place of worship. You were essentially a walking dead person in the land of Israel. You had to cover the lower half of your mouth, lest someone see you at a distance and not realize that you had leprosy. You had to stay at least 50 paces away from any human being, and if they were getting closer, not realizing that they were walking towards a leper, you had to cry out in your loudest voice, unclean, unclean and scurry away and hope that they scurry away as well. It was to be a total outcast in your most cherished community. And so what you'll see in this passage is that the lepers actually do part of what they're supposed to do. You see, they're standing at a distance, the text tells us, but they don't cry out to Jesus as he's coming closer. They don't cry out, unclean, unclean. They cry out something else. Look what they say in verse 13, they lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. One thing that's good to note, whenever you come across a scene in the Gospels where lepers are present, there is a a sense in which the original Gospel writer, and even I think the Holy Spirit as well, wants us to be reminded of our true state in sin. They often will find Jesus encountering, encountering these lepers and, and healing them, and it's something of a powerful, invisible portrait of what our sinful hearts are before the Lord. Because these lepers were complete outcasts within their covenant community, and the Bible tells us that we're all born into sin. That by nature, even as we read earlier from Ephesians 2, we're children of wrath. We are alienated from God. We are strangers to the covenants of promise. We have no hope in the world. To the depths of our soul, we are born into a condition in which we ought to cry out, unclean, unclean. But the good news of Scripture is is we don't stop crying there. That we want to also cry out, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. 
Now, students, think about that word mercy for a minute. What does it mean? It's a word that we often use in church. Christians use often. But what exactly is mercy? Well, what you want to know is that the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, uses this word mercy as much as any other book in the entire New Testament. And half of the occurrences of mercy show up all the way back in Luke chapter 1. So if you want to flip back to Luke chapter 1, we want to have an idea of what mercy is already from the foundational pages uh, of this gospel. You'll see these two songs that come later on in Luke chapter 1. Jesus' mother Mary sings a song, and Jesus' extended relative Zechariah sings a song. And if you look at verse 50 of chapter 1, Mary is singing about God's mercy being for those who fear him from generation to generation. If you skip down to verse 54, she cries out and sings, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And then later on as the narrative progresses, Zechariah, Jesus' extended relative, he sings this song of a prophecy based on his son, John the Baptist, who is gonna be born to prepare the way of the Messiah. So he's given us a prophecy about what this Messiah Jesus Christ was going to do. And look also at his words of mercy that come to us in his hymn, verse 72. That God has shown mercy that he promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. Skip down to verse 77 and 78. That the Messiah is going to come to give the knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Why? Because of the tender mercy of our God. So, our Savior's mission from the very beginning was one of mercy, but again, I ask, what is mercy? Well, a simple definition of mercy is compassion for the miserable. It's to have compassion, kindness, even pity on those who are in misery. To possess mercy is to minister to those who are in misery. And so these ten lepers are crying out to the king of mercy, saying, have mercy on us. But what kind of mercy are they looking for? Of course, they're looking for healing from their leprosy. Now, kids, I wonder if you know the story of a man in the Old Testament named Naaman. Uh, If you haven't read that story before, it's quite a fascinating story in so many ways. You can read it with your parents uh, later on this afternoon. It's a good Lord's Day activity, 2 Kings chapter 5, later on today. And you'll find this man named Naaman. So he's the most celebrated He's the wisest, most successful general and commander in the Syrian army, and he has leprosy. And someone tells him that there's a prophet in Israel who can cleanse people of their leprosy. And so off Naaman goes to the king of Israel. He shows up in the king of Israel's courtroom and says, well, tell me where this prophet is who can cleanse people of leprosy. And the king of Israel basically looks at him and starts laughing out loud as such a thing could actually happen. He says, surely you must be a spy from Syria. Nobody can cleanse anyone of leprosy. Such was the impossibility of what these lepers are asking of Jesus. What they're asking for in their request of mercy is nothing less than the impossible. And what their request is met with is a surprising Response, look at Jesus' reply in verse 14. He saw them and said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. So notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't promise them healing. He doesn't touch them, strikingly. He doesn't even acknowledge their request. It's as though he says, just move along, go show yourselves to the priests. And it's, I think, something we're meant to see as a test of faith. 
Because you only went to see the priest if you had already been cleansed of leprosy. And Jesus is saying, before they have been cleansed of leprosy, go see the priests. And they clearly take Jesus at his word, don't they? Because off they go. And notice the end of verse 14. They went. And as they went, they were cleansed. And I think there's something, students, especially for you to meditate on and maybe even consider from this, this simple verse here in Luke 17, verse 14, is that reception of Christ's gifts, reception of Christ's mercy, ordinarily comes on the path of simple obedience. They take Jesus at his word, walk along in the path of obedience, and what they desire comes. Christ's mercy. He tells them to do something they weren't looking for, go see the priests. They wanted healing right then and there. Doesn't promise it to them, doesn't touch them, doesn't even acknowledge their request. Just says, move along and see the priests. And off they go, and along the way, they are cleansed. It would have been a surprising reply that they heard from Jesus Christ. So that's the first half of this story. But, of course, the punchline of sorts in the story comes in the second half, as it focuses just on one leper and what we want to now consider as a thankful return. I read this story once of the great English preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon, English preacher in the 19th century, very well known around the world, and once he was out on the streets doing some evangelism, and he came across an older woman who he found out was quite chatty, that he just continued to try to get a word in edgewise to share the gospel, but she just kept going and going and going, talking his ear off, and evidently he eventually was able to speak of God's mercy towards sinners, in Jesus Christ, and she began to realize that she was indeed a sinner who, who needed a Savior, and Christ was that Savior, and she said, Oh, Mr. Spurgeon, if my Lord Jesus would have me, I would never stop telling him about it. I would talk his ear off every single day. And her point was, I couldn't stop being thankful if he would save someone like me. And that kind of gratitude and thanksgiving is what is portrayed in our text. Look at verses 15 and 16. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. If you're able to read Greek, you would look at this Greek word, actually it's two words for loud voice. Phones megales which is from which we get our English word of megaphone. And it gives you an idea of the kind of praise that this one leper returns after his cleansing. What kind of volume is coming from his mouth as he gives praise to Jesus Christ. It's like he has a megaphone that he's declaring Christ's glory and mercy. But not just that, he falls down on his face, doesn't he? At Jesus' feet giving him thanks, which is the quintessential picture. It is the standard position of worship and thanksgiving in all the Bible. And here you have this one cleansed leper continually giving Jesus thanks. And Jesus is shocked about it. Notice verse 17. He kind of continues with this volley of questions because only one stranger has returned. He says, we're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And so you wonder, at least I wonder, why is it that 90% of the cleansed lepers saw no reason to return and thank the one who brought the cleansing? 
was wondering that this week and came across an article that posited, somewhat humorously, but quite seriously, I think, nine reasons why nine lepers might not return to thank Jesus Christ. So the article said, the first waited to see if the cure was actually real. The second waited to see if it would last. The third waited to see Jesus later. At least that's what he said he would do. The fourth decided that he had never actually had leprosy. And the fifth said he would have gotten well anyway on his own. One gave glory to the priest, this sixth one. The seventh said, oh well, Jesus really didn't do anything. He said, get out of my presence. The eighth said, any rabbi, any master could have done this. No big deal. The ninth said, well, I was already getting a lot better. So why didn't they return? And even Jesus' questions, don't they, in verse 17, tell us that they should have returned? They should have come back? He said, go show yourselves to the priest, but clearly he is saying, you should have returned. Nine should have come back. Jesus just worked this great miracle. Power, majesty, glory, and beauty on display, and he only gets 10% on the return of his investment. And so I want to encourage some of you in here this morning that maybe are serving the church in positions of leadership, working towards serving the church in Christ and gospel ministry, longing even to be a missionary to the ends of the earth. So often, daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, giving Christ to weak and weary souls and seeing very little return on your labor. Don't you know that Jesus had the same thing happen to him? That he can sympathize with your struggles? If the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords miraculously healed 10 individuals and only got thanks from one of them, how much is our imperfect ministry gonna struggle for gratitude and thanksgiving? But of course we long for it, don't we? and pray for more of it, but we cling to Christ who can help us in the midst of our weakness. And so look at verse 19. He says to this one leper that returned, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. And your Bible translation, if it's in front of you, probably has a footnote at the end of that sentence, and if you look down to the bottom of your page, you would see that actually the language is more literally, and this is what it, I think should be translated as, your faith has saved you. The point of this story is not the healing that this leper experienced. The point of this story is that that healing was an indication of the salvation that he received from the Savior by Christ alone. Because Luke's gospel, over and over and over, if you've seen this, see it again. If you haven't seen it, see it for the first time, is over and over and over telling us that faith is the way in which we lay hold of the Savior. Faith is the way into this king's kingdom. And you see faith when gratitude for Christ overflows in one's life. So this was the ten lepers' life of misery and difficulty with their leprosy. So they made an urgent request and they heard a surprising reply from Jesus. Yet only one comes back with a thankful return. One of the more interesting things I've found in my own little armchair hobby study of military history is that technological advancement uh, tends to follow and accompany the victors of any battle or war. So for example, in World War II, one of the reasons that England was able to withstand Hitler's forces in the Battle of Britain is that they were very much advanced in their development of radar 
you know, radio detection and ranging, this idea that you could actually see something with radio waves that you couldn't see with your very eyes because they would send out these radar waves, these radio signals, and they could detect a German plane from over 80 miles away. And the Germans, of course, were coming in thinking that they were going to surprise everyone in Britain with their sneak blitzkrieg attack. And in a similar way, I think that, that our text this morning is meant to sound forth these spiritual radar waves, Try, trying to see something, trying to discover something that is hidden ordinarily from the visible eye. And it's a gratitude that shows forth and reveals true faith in Jesus Christ. Because this, this man comes along, this leper comes along with a booming voice, praising God, falling on his face in gratitude. And the simple application of central importance to us this morning is have you fallen on your face before Jesus Christ in gratitude for his mercy? When was the last time you did it? Maybe, in a good way, the Spirit's working in your life, increasing you in gratitude to give thanks in all circumstances. And gratitude is something that does interrupt your ordinary day. Maybe punctuate your day and life in Christ Jesus. Uh, but I dare say that all of us in this room are probably convicted of multiple times in this coming week of how far short we do fall in our Gratitude for Jesus Christ. And so what the text is doing is these spiritual waves sounding forth to test out the reality, the presence of our faith by the reality and presence of our thanksgiving. So as we begin to close, what I want to do, just kind of look back at the text from three different vantage points, if you will, sounding forth three different locations in order that we might be able to test ourselves against this passage. So first of all, as we begin to conclude, I want you to make sure that you notice the time the time of salvation. When was it that this man was healed? We don't know the length of time, but we certainly know when he was in the midst of misery. And maybe you've read the Bible enough, worked your way through from start to finish to know that this is how God's mercy often comes to his people in the midst of difficulty, hardship, and affliction. Because, of course, it's there in the midst of difficulty, hardship, and affliction that you desire his mercy. Think about it this way. It was God's mercy that came to Jacob when he had a limp, when Job had lost everything, when Naaman had leprosy, when Ruth had lost her husband, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a fiery furnace, when Daniel had a den of lions, when the Apostle Paul had a thorn that the Lord would not remove, what did they get in that condition? Mercy from the Lord. So maybe you're in here this morning and you are going through a season of suffering, of difficulty, of hardship and affliction. Be encouraged today that it's in such seasons that Christ's mercy tends to come to his people. And might you be even like the original ten lepers and cry out to him this morning, Jesus, Master, Lord, have, have mercy on me. So pay attention to the time of salvation. Also pay attention to the recipient of salvation. Who was the one that receives the comfort of your faith has saved you? Now look again at verse 16, the five words at the very end. Standing there in Luke's mind like blinking lights of importance. Now this man, now he was a Samaritan. Which I think means for us to take the other nine as Jewish religious people. One out of the ten received salvation, and it was a Samaritan man. So you might know something about Jewish 
rivalry or Jews' rivalry with Samaritans. It's almost by this point in redemptive history, a thousand years long. The animosity they had for each other is something I don't think we can really equate to in our context today. They loathed each other, couldn't stand each other. And any self-respecting Jewish person would have assumed that everyone but a Samaritan would have been cleansed of his leprosy, would have been saved by faith. But Luke is here underlining whom has Jesus saved. A Samaritan. And in Luke's gospel, that's a warning to religious people. Religious people who think in their self-assurance, their shoe-ins for salvation. The warning here is they missed it. Because actually they just got what they wanted, which was physical cleansing, when what they really needed was spiritual renewal. So pay attention to the time of salvation. Pay attention to the recipient of salvation, because we like that Samaritan are outsiders to the covenant community. Thirdly, most importantly, pay attention, pay attention to the Lord of salvation. Because only one person, this Samaritan man, got what he wanted and still returned back because he realized who had brought about the cleansing. Nine people returned to the temple. One came back to he who is the true temple. Nine people went to see the priests. One came back to he who is the great high priest. Nine people returned to the law to declare their cleansing. One returned to the gospel to receive salvation. And so I think there's also a second warning in this text that's meant for the original audience that does apply to us. And it's the truth that you can receive Christ's gifts of mercy and not know the Christ of mercy. You can receive his gifts of mercy and still not actually have closed with the Christ of mercy. All ten received the mercy, didn't they? Yet only one hears the declaration of your faith has saved you. It's possible, isn't it, to be so infatuated with the gifts of Christ that you miss the giver himself. To be so focused on the benefits of Christ that you miss the benefactor himself, to be so focused on being loved that you miss possessing love itself. So maybe you're in here this morning and you're much more like these nine lepers who were cleansed and didn't return to give thanks to Christ than you realize. Because in your desire for good things, you have actually missed the greatest thing along the way. So often, isn't it true that even churches today celebrate and even preach messages of the gospel in such a way that so focuses on the deliverance that Christ brings, that it's almost as though we forgot about the deliverer himself. Have you returned to Jesus Christ and given him thanks with a loud megaphone booming voice, declared his praise? If you haven't, see his mercy this morning, his mercy on outcasts, marginalized, misfits, disenfranchised people like you and me, sinners, who are unclean. Have you cried out, Lord, have mercy on me? And you can come to Christ today because he is indeed the king of mercy who delights to save by faith. Let us give him thanks and praise. Let's pray together. Father, we are indeed a people who so often can live our life in such a way that we forget Jesus Christ. Lord, we don't mean to do it. 
And we don't even want to do it, but we confess that we can so easily forget about your son in the midst of a focus on what he brings to us. And so we pray that you would work within us the thanksgiving, the gratitude, the praise, the wonder, the worship, and the awe that we find in this Samaritan leper cleansed from leprosy. Lord, help us even as a church, we pray, to cling to the mercy of Jesus Christ, this motivation for a life of gratitude. Help us to cling, of course, to Christ himself more than anything else, knowing that he will never let us go, that it is delight, it is his delight to save sinners like us. Let us come now to him, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, let us stand together as we respond to God's word with a hymn of praise which is printed in your bulletin, Come ye sinners, poor and needy.